Hello, all you beautiful creepsters. It's time for another Sinister Sightings with Donna and Carrie. But look out, because they're coming in hot. Hey, y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are a paranormal chick. Sinister Sightings 108. And y'all just heard from Laurie R. in the Creepinati. And uh, yeah, we're coming in hot. That reminds me of that commercial. Normally, you know exactly what I'm talking about when in I my say head, that. Yeah, in my head, I said, where's the beef? When you said that commercial. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nope. Mm-mm. I mean, hmm. But no, it's where the girl and the husband, they're dancing, dirty dancing. And... He doesn't catch her, and she's like, "I came in real hot," or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, hopefully, y'all know what I'm talking about too. And did you know right when I said commercial, or did you say where's the beef? I mean, I knew that wasn't what you were thinking, but that's the only commercial <laughs> I could think of. Oh gosh. Well, if y'all want to do an intro as awesome as Alari's, head on over to patreoncom forward slash the APC podcast. Okay, the first story. My terrible stalking experience. Hello, ladies, lovelies, and creepsters. I just finished episode 130 about the stalking of Ella Durant, which prompted me to submit the story of my own experience. I'm sorry, you were creepy how you said, hello, ladies. Yeah, from, uh, I said, like, I know how my lady gets. Yes, from Almost Famous. But it was just funny how you said it. This is a super long one, so let's jump into it. So let's take it back to 2011. I'm a 14-year-old female that's in the closet while in 10th grade and not open about my sexuality growing up in the wonderful South that is the great U.S. of A. At this time, I didn't know how to properly express my sexuality or way of talking to women, so I did what any dumb kid would do, created myself a separate Facebook account. I did this so family and friends wouldn't see it and used it as my own little escape to make friends and connections while being my own true self or that's what I thought I was doing in my early horny years of being a teenager. Either way, this is where I met my girlfriend at the time. Let's call her Ash. Ash was only one year younger than I was and when I tell you she was amazing, I meant amazing. She had red hair with the most vibrant blue eyes. We loved the same music, wanted to be in the same profession, and most of all, she laughed at all of my dumb dad jokes. A true keeper, right? Sometimes when we would fight, I would get random numbers texting me saying that they were friends of hers and how much Ash really needed to talk to me because she couldn't live with herself if I was mad at her. More toxic than Britney Spears. (laughs) But at the time, I just thought, oh, just teenage drama. Well, here is where it gets interesting. Ash and I went on to date in secret in the closet for four years. Yeah, you read that right. Four years. And here's the catch. The whole time we dated, we only ever talked on the phone or texted. We never FaceTimed, Zoom called, or had seen her face to face. Oh, wow. Yes, I can hear you ladies now being like, oh, now we got a case of the catfish. And it's so obvious after all that time. But in my mind, she was a safe place. Yeah, I get that. She was someone I related to and at times questioned it. But in my heart, I didn't care. 
I had a woman who I knew loved me, and at the time, that's all my little gay heart cared about. But little did I know that the world I had created would start to crash down faster than I would imagine. So it's four years later, I had grown so much. I had gone from a sophomore in high school to a sophomore in college, studying criminal justice, living life, and really starting to come into who I was to all the people around me. I found friends who loved me for who I was and programs to join that helped me flourish. So at this time, I asked Ash to come out with me. I just turned 18, a true adult, and was over living this lie. I wanted her to take this dive with me. She said no and begged me not to because my family would hate me and no one would ever accept me for who I was. But for myself, I had to take the risk. We broke up and I came out. I was over the moon and felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. But that was until the messages came. It was day and night. My phone would blow up with messages from random phone numbers saying how I was going to hell for being gay and that my life was disgusting. Even worse, they soon turned into death threats. Not only was I getting these messages, but so were all of my friends, family, and anyone I had ever had contact with in my life. My family feared for my safety at college, and I went to campus police three times about it, and they did nothing at all but write me a police report and sent me on my way because, quote, there was nothing they could do. Here is where all the backstory gets really interesting. After almost eight months of harassment and death threats for every single day, I get a knock on my dorm room door and it's the police. They have come to my campus to talk to me about my harassment, but these officers are from several counties away. When I see them, I finally have hope. I think, yes, they finally figured out who this was and took me seriously. Someone is going to make what hell I have been living through stop. And this is when I am hit with the truth. Ash is not Ash. Ash isn't a child at all. Ash is a woman, yes, but the person in the photo she sent me, well, buckle up for this one. It's her daughter. Oh my gosh. The real Ash is a grown woman who we'll call Jen. Jen is a 40-year-old woman who was having a bad marriage and created a Facebook account pretending to be her own daughter for over four years to talk to me and be in a relationship with not only me, but other kids in their community. That's why police had come to talk to me. They had searched Jen's phone logs and had found my number in the mix of numbers that she had been in contact with. I didn't know what to do or think. My stalker had been my ex-girlfriend, who wasn't really an ex-girlfriend, but a crazy 40-year-old who preyed on my young, naive mind. You think that's the kicker? Just wait. Jen had told the police that all the harassment that she did to my family, friends, and her community, yeah, it was all my idea to do as some sort of revenge for some who didn't accept me. What hurt the most is that anyone who knows me knew that wasn't even true. But you know who believed it? The police. Of course. Wow. After what seemed like forever of me trying to get help from them about my own stalker, the police got controlled by my own stalker into making them think that I was some sort of mastermind. I didn't know what to do or what to think, which at this time brought me to a dark place. That same day the police visited me, my sophomore year of college, with all the stress of this situation, of the world, of family, friends, stalkers, police, schoolwork, 
and all that I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. I tried to take my own life. I took 50 Tylenol and 24 ibuprofen, wrote a two-letter suicide note, and went to sleep hoping to not wake up. But you know what? I'm so damn glad that I did. Long story short, let me try to summarize this last little bit. I survived, and I'm happy where I am in life. I was in the hospital for a week, and the only reason why I survived was being I didn't drink, so my liver was in perfect health. To this day, I still don't drink, not out of fear, but just as a thank you to my body. What happened with my stalker situation? This may come as a surprise, but Jen was able to convince them that I was a stalker. Yep, you heard that right. I was found guilty for a crime that they had no evidence on, all because this adult said that I was a child and I did it. I didn't want to throw race into it, but I'm a black female and Jen is a white woman. She's a realtor in the area where this is coming from, so a lot of people, including the judge, know her. And you want to know what their made evidence was against me in court? Jen, this real estate agent, said, and I quote, Whenever I got a call of harassment, it sounded like a black woman, and she is the only black woman I know. Oh my gosh. Yes, a real estate agent said that I am the only black person she knows. Also, let's keep in mind that I am a butch lesbian, and even when I got on the stand, the bailiff did a double take at me because when I speak, I sound just like a man half the time. Anyways, I was sentenced to probation since, at the time, I didn't even have a speeding ticket. Jen, she got away with it, and while under probation, my detective on the case came and took my phone, went through it, and found no evidence that I harassed anyone but couldn't overturn the case. So, I took it as a life lesson. I was learning criminal justice, and now I got to be on the other side of the law and see how black people in the system were really treated. I befriended my probation officer, who knew I was innocent because the detective told her, and I just got to intern at a law firm my senior year of college while just getting out of probation. I'm now 24, and I'm living my dream life, working in my dream job to help others that have been wrongly convicted of crimes and for their records to be set straight, even though I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for the long story, but I just felt like this needed to be shared. Parents, check who your kids are talking to online, and if you are online dating, please be careful of who you are talking to online. You never know who these people are and what their true intentions are. I love the podcast, and thank you for making this a place where we can tell stories and experiences without feeling judged. With all the love, TJ. And just think, like, this all started for TJ 10 years ago. And it's like, think about, because she's 24 now and 14 when it started. Mm -hmm. She gave me a math question. I could see the, I could see, like, the, like, one on a rider math going above your head. (laughs) Well, it's like, no, it was four years, but I get what you're saying now. Yeah, like, it all started 10 years ago. And I just think about, like, when we first started in online chats. Like, I know I've told you this story so many times, but I can remember being in, ninth grade and chat rooms were in our world new i mean this is like 1999 you know what i mean in ninth grade in my world not your world you Uh, started in like seventh grade i was like what no this was eighth grade for me eighth grade and i can remember like talking to this guy and being like oh my god he likes me oh my god he was 30 fucking eight years old like he told me he was 38 years old and i'm like oh my god this adult likes me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bitch, you are 13. Put down the computer. No 38-year-old likes you. Yes. Oh, and if God. they do, they got a problem. Yeah. Like, that's bad. 
I say all that to say it's so easy when you're in a vulnerable place and when you're like, oh my God, somebody likes me or, I mean, your situation, TJ, what you were going through. I mean, when you're in a vulnerable place, it's so easy to be sucked in and to have these blinders on because you finally feel attractive or loved or you're able to be yourself. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's very easy to miss these red flags. Also, like how you're talking about in, you know, back in our day, it's so different now because we didn't have Facebook. We had AOL and stuff. But if someone said, hey, send me a picture, well, it was different because mm-hmm. you had to have a scanner. Yeah. You had to have all of this. So you could, it was a different thing. Like that 38-year-old really could have been talking to you and say, oh, I'm 15. Oh, I don't have a scanner. I'd been like, oh, okay, me neither. Like I would have to do it at Tiffany's house or some, you know what I mean? Something mm-hmm. else because uh, don't have it. So it's like, oh, okay, you are who you say you are, you know? But now Google has, you know, you can just be like teenage girl and send a fucking picture. Right. So it's, oh, I don't know. So it's different times, but just as easy to catfish. But again, hindsight's fucking 2020. But it's like, if someone doesn't want to FaceTime you or meet in person or whatever, where they have to like prove who they are, Mm -hmm. then it's a red flag. But like, even on dating sites and stuff, before I would meet somebody, I would say, okay, send me a picture and I would tell them to do something like hold up the number three. You know what? I would would never be the number two because you could, I mean, not that people like do peace signs often, but like the odds of them having a picture being like deuces, you know, is way higher than if I'm like, okay, hold up the number three. Yeah. Send me a picture holding up three fingers. And if they're like, no, no, no. I'm like, well, then we're not meeting. Right. And then if they're like, well, you just don't trust me. You're fucking right. I don't trust you. Right. So send me the fucking picture or we don't meet. Yeah. Because don't play that with me. Don't throw this back on me like it's my fault because, no, I'm trying to not die. Yeah. So if you're not who you say you are, we got a problem. Mm-hmm. So send me the fucking picture. And if you're going to, like, fight me on it, then that's a red flag. Like, yeah. I'm not going to I'm not gonna beg you. So either you send it or you don't. Right. Period. And if you don't, well, we're not meeting. And we're not, we're not going to, like, this ends communication. Yeah. Because you're not who you say you are. And they missed out because you got the golden pussy. I mean, don't tell everybody. <laughs> uh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> but also, fuck Jen. Oh, gosh. Yes. And that really reminds me of Catfish. Yes. The show. Yes. Well, the movie. When it was about Neve. Yeah. Because that girl, well, that woman, she used her daughter as the bait for it, too. What in the actual hell, TJ? That is like a Lifetime movie kind of well, stuff. Well, and shit. Like, it just happened not too long ago to um, Mary Brown, who was that, the yeah. sister wives with Cody Brown and his sis- and, the, and the wives. But, I mean, it just happened to her. And it was the same thing. They were, like, trying to... There was, like, an, like a little bit of an abuse with it, too, just like you experience. Like, oh, well, nobody's going to love you, or nobody's going to do this, or you know, tried to get her, like, pull her away from the family of they don't understand you like I do kind yeah. of thing. And so it was like this, like, almost grooming. And then... That's so gross. You know, and then it created this rip. Anyway, long story short. But it's, again, even now, 
it's easy. And, mm-hmm. and that person would have all these other numbers and other people who were like friends of them to call her. And it was really just that person. Yeah. Just basically doing different voices. And I mean, that's a grown woman, like you said, recently. So you being a 14 year old, again, just trying to find your place in this world. Mm -hmm. And that's so gross that she held that against you. Like, no one's going to love you if you come out. Don't do it because blah, blah, blah. Like, well, we'll fucking love you. Yes. And fuck her and fuck Everybody that believed her over you, when you had fucking receipts, like you had receipts, you had all those police reports from the campus security, you had all this stuff, like you had fucking receipts, like fuck her. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that though, because like it really does still go on. So hopefully some of our younger listeners who still like has like such a big online presence and everything, maybe they think a little, a little harder. Yeah. Look, it was a wild, wild west when we had AOL mm-hmm. and everything. Thank God we survived because, good Lord. Like you said, a 38-year-old or whatever, and you're like, he, he likes me. He really likes me. It's like, this person wasn't even lying. Yeah. And I, I mean, he could have been lying. He could have been 55. But he's still saying a high age, and it's like, oh, she cool with it. Okay, cool. No telling what he could have gotten me to do. Yeah. If my internet was not... Same. (laughs) If mine wasn't, oh, my brother needs to use the internet. Sorry. Somebody's calling. Hold on. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And no, somebody's calling because, you know, your internet fucks up. Uh huh. It kicks you off. Motherfucker. I was just, I didn't get a chance to put my away message up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, mine would be some sad poem. Oh, my God. You were so angsty. Oh, God. I mean, now you're just anxious. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. I have Benjamin buttoned. I was, like, very... You really have. Yes, I was very, like, all about literature, all about whatever. And now my away message would be a dad joke, like a really bad dad joke. And, like, what? (laughs) All right, the next one. Hey, Donna and Carrie, my name's Haley, and I'm from Sheffield, England. Every time I think about Sheffield, I think about Carrie's fucking nanny show. Yeah, I did too. I was like, oh, do you know Mr. Sheffield? (laughs) I've been meaning to write in for a while, but my lazy ass has only just gotten around to it. So I'm sitting here writing this at 1 a.m., naked, waiting for my fake tan to dry. (laughs) I mean, first world problems, man. (laughs) The things you do when you're a pale bitch like me. Is that what they said? That's what they said. That's fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were just like ad-libbing. That's funny. No, it's him. (laughs) I have a few short stories for you guys, so here we go. Look, I couldn't self-tan because I have no uh, arm span. (laughs) It would just be like a whole center down my back, like a wide gap of just white. Oh, God, yes. You got to get somebody to help you with that shit. Then hold up my stomach. Oh, God. Oh, God, no. No, that's why. You don't do under there. Well, I wouldn't do my undercarriage, but like. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, what do you mean? But uh, I got to make sure it gets all my roundness of my belly. Okay. This is very important. I cannot blind someone if they have my legs spread too much. Oh, touche, touche, Uh touche. You got to be like. Don't mind that. (laughs) No, no. 
what you got going on under there? No, <laughs> oh, you know, spray dead didn't get quite there. <laughs> Sorry. I have no dexterity. My wingspan's very short. <laughs> Meanwhile, he'd just be like, you could spread those legs, though. But this is what I worry about. My mom told me this one as it was back in 1994 when I was just a baby. My mom and dad were sitting in the lounge and I was asleep in a cot near my dad. Why is dad just dad? I don't know. But mom is mom. (laughs) I don't know. The one-time females get the cool thing. My mom told my dad that she was going to bed, so off she went. About half an hour later, my dad saw my covers moving around He went over to me only to find that the cot was empty. Yes, my mom had taken me upstairs with her. My dad ran upstairs freaking out and my mom just laughed it off. My mom always had told me creepy stories about my childhood home, so I guess she was just used to it. My mom also once told me that whenever she wiped the kitchen sides down and then came back to him, the ring of the mug would appear next to the sink as though someone had placed a mug down and then picked it back up. The ring was always to the right of the sink, but never in the exact same spot. I was about 15 years old when she told me this, and I didn't believe her. She said she would prove it. We went into the kitchen, and I watched her wipe the sides. We left the room for a few minutes, and then we went back to have a look, and there was a ring. It was just us in the house at the time, and I didn't leave my mom's side the whole time, or ever, because I was a big baby who was shit scared of that house. I clearly had good reason to be. Over the years, it became apparent that whatever is in that house was more often than not in my bedroom. Mm -mm. My dog slept on my bed every night. Even when he didn't really want to, there was no way I was sleeping alone in there. Most nights, my dog would stare at this one spot on the left-hand side of my room. Sometimes he would even growl at it. One night, both the cat and dog were on my bed. At the same time, they were startled and looked towards that corner. My cat ran away and my dog started growling. My scared ass got up, dragged my covers out onto the landing, and slept there, outside of my room. As well as being a big baby, I was clearly dumb as fuck. One day, I decided to rearrange the furniture in my bedroom. I decided to move my bed into the creepy fucking haunted corner. Mm-mm. Why would you? Why? <laughs> why? That night, when I got into bed, I called for my dog. He came pottering in, but when he got halfway into my room, he stopped. I patted the bed to get him to jump in with me, and he just looked at me. He would not get in. This had never happened before. Like I said, he slept with me every single night. I decided to go and pick him up and put him in the bed myself. As soon as he got close, he started to growl. And when I put him in the bed, he ran off. That night, he slept on the floor near my bedroom door. Needless to say, I changed my room back the next day. When I was young, I had brat stalls. As well as the dolls, I had the blue Cadillac with the working radio. One night, the radio turned itself on. I pulled it out from under my bed and turned it off. It did it again. This time, I took the batteries out and shoved it back underneath the bed. No word of a lie, it did it again. I freaked the fuck out, turned it off, whacked it, and threw it out onto the landing, closed my bedroom door, 
Did I not realize I was just closing the door and leaving whatever was in the room with me? Again, dumb as fuck. (laughs) No, just young as fuck. Yes. And scared. Yes. My mom still lives in our childhood home along with my brother. When I moved out, my mom moved into my bedroom. I'm clearly not the only dumb fuck in the family. (laughs) She hasn't told me of any creepy happenings in the last few years, so maybe whatever or whoever it was has moved on. Sadly, my dog Buster passed away four years ago. He was 18, so he lived a good life. I can never thank him enough for how he protected me and was there for me when I was growing up. He even came with me when it was nighttime and I needed the loo. I wasn't going upstairs alone. (laughs) Although I'm a cat person at heart, I love that dog like no other. I hope all this made sense and that it wasn't too long. I still have more stories, but I'll send them in another time. I love you both and you cheer me up when the times get hard. Keep doing what you're doing. Love, Haley. Holy shit, though, about your stories. What did your dad say later about that? About him looking over, being like, oh, she's just tossing and turning, go, and no, like, no one's there? No baby? No, yeah, uh-uh. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. And uh, your dog was like, oh, fuck no. Right? <laughs> Why would you put that bed right in that one spot? Like, the one spot. <laughs> you and had like, one job. I think that looks like a really, look, that spot, it needs something. Sage, no. It needs a bed. (laughs) Man, and it's awesome to have animals that are alert, but then sometimes you just want to be blissfully ignorant. Exactly. It's like, why you got to be on a high alert, okay? But I'm glad your mom's not having those experiences. I know. Maybe it just liked you. Or didn't like you. I mean, touche. Might have been jealous of all your brat stalls. I mean, it's a fucking radio worked. It said, let me see what this thing does here. Uh-huh. What's this button do? What's this new fandangle fancy thing? <laughs> we didn't have this in 1864. <laughs> I got my period clothes on. I can't see. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, I have period clothes. To- oh, never mind. Wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> I am 100%. I am 100%. But whatever that sentence was supposed to be, knew that that's where your brain was going to go. <laughs> I knew you were going straight to your period panties. <laughs> well, now that all the guys have turned it off. Um, that was like a big, like, record skirt when I said that to all of them. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, the next one is another stalking story. This one's called Stalking Sinister Sightings and Advice from LT. Dang, we had a TJ and an LT. Hey, ladies. Sorry this is a long one, but I was recently inspired to write this out after learning about what Ella Durant endured. When Donna said, this is so real, I knew I needed to share. In the spirit of episode 130, let's call this fucker Chaz. When I was 18, I was stalked, threatened, and blackmailed by a 22-year-old man named Chaz. We started talking online through a new popular dating app that a few friends of mine were using at the time. After a couple of weeks or so of talking and texting, I felt comfortable enough to meet up with Chaz in person at his place. I realized through our conversations that I had actually known him already. As the older brother of a set of twin boys I had gone to school with for over 10 years. I literally had already played at his house and went to birthday parties in his home. 
His mom even used to volunteer in my elementary school classroom. I felt like I was just meeting an extension of a small town family I had already known for years. Because I was. We briefly dated. And when I mean briefly, I mean we Netflix and chilled a couple of times at most before I got some bad vibes and wanted to break it off. So we didn't even date really. Reason being is that I quickly realized he was dangerous after listening to the stories he would tell me when we hung out. For example, he told me about how he accidentally burned down his house by fucking around with a lighter, resulting in the death of his two family dogs. What the actual fuck? I can verify this because I used to house sit a couple of doors down the same year his burnt house was under construction. He seemed remorseful and accidents happen, so I felt bad for him. What really worried me, though, were the things he bragged to me about during the second meeting. Like how he had lost his license after outrunning a cop on his motorcycle going over 100 miles per hour through traffic. Or how in a separate incident, he had beaten a man on the side of the road to the point of needing hospitalization during a fit of road rage after gravel had hit his windshield. Oh my goodness. Whether he was bluffing or not, it was enough for me to dip out because I wanted no part of that. Also, don't brag to me that you can't drive. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that you don't have a license. I'm about to fucking schlep your ass all over town. That's what I mean. Oh, I thought you meant, like, that you don't have driving skills. No. <laughs> That's where I thought you were going because, like, like a rock, like road rate. Yeah. You know? No, no, no. Okay. But, no, that you can't drive. Like, so I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to drive the whole fucking time. I'm going to have to always come to your house. I'm, no, nah, mm-mm. Unfortunately, it was too late to break it off from this creepy dude without a fight because as soon as I started to decline his invites, he started begging me to come over. He threw tantrums and even told me I was fat and pathetic and he was just horny. Okay. Okay, fuck you. I hate that. Look, the amount of times people like try to hit you up on online and then when you're like no i'm not interested or whatever and then like well you're just fat well you fucking knew i was fat when you looked at my profile picture uh-huh. and you still fucking message me so you're just trying to do a low blow so move the fuck on yeah and you're not gonna get me honey like you you're not gonna hurt my feelings and you're I mean, not it hurts a little but <laughs> <laughs> you're so sensitive <laughs> I'm like, okay, (laughs) like you wanted it, so uh, fuck you. And obviously, I don't have high expectations of you. Like, you know what I mean? So you trying to break me down? Well, I've already broke you down in my mind, so (laughs) I I pass. Yeah. Sorry, but that really is it. Like, freak out on you, do all of this thing, and then be like, well, you're ugly. I was just doing it. Okay, tell that lie to someone else. Yeah. Like, you've messaged me 18 times saying, please, 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 please come please. back. Please don't break up with me. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Or like, hey, you're beautiful. Hey, you're gorgeous. Hey, 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 hey. And when you're like, I'm sorry, I'm just not interested. They're like, well, you're fat. Yeah, you're a fat bitch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, well, that must be your type because you, you were very complimentary before. <laughs> and also, that's not a negative. So, okay, thanks. Right? I mean, more cushion for the pushing for a reason. Exactly. After that, even, he would still keep trying. I still told him no, of course, so he threatened to share the couple of nudes I sent him previously on the internet. 
Afterwards, on Snapchat, I received a black picture with white text stating he videotaped us having sex and would share that too. Because snaps disappear after opening them, it was gone after he sent it and there was no replay button at that point. I was so terrified of the thought of anyone seeing this video I knew nothing about that I was sick to my stomach for days. The threat mortified me to the point I finally caved and went to his house to beg him to reconsider and stop what he was doing. I still remember the drive over to his house, preparing myself for the shitty, scary situation I was getting myself into. He was a big, violent dude, and I didn't know what would happen. I hate to think about it now, but I remember weighing the options of what could happen to me. I told myself that being raped by this dude that has already violated me would in some ways be better than having my pictures shared with who knows how many people. Now I feel differently, but then I felt stuck, alone, and desperate. I didn't have anyone to tell, and he had me right where he wanted me. When I walked in his door, no one else was home, and he led me upstairs to his bedroom. I immediately started begging him to delete anything of me he had. He got angry that my focus was solely on the threats he made and told me that if I didn't come over and suck his dick, then to get out. He tried to force me to go down on him, but I started crying, which made him angrier and unable to get it up. He huffed and let go of my hair before proceeding to shove me down the stairs a few steps at a time. My fear turned into anger and I started yelling at him about how shitty he was as a person. He laughed in my face and pretended to fake out punch me, which made me flinch and cower in front of the door. He laughed at my reaction and told me, shut the fuck up, I would never hit a girl. Just then, he saw the brothers that I had gone to school with get out of their car and walk up to the driveway. He opened the door and screamed, get the fuck out of here and pushed me out the door. His brothers quickly recognized me when I passed them and looked at Chaz in confusion. I heard Chaz tell them he had caught me stealing his weed as he closed the front door behind them. I walked to my car and went home. I didn't hear from Chaz for two days after that. During that time, I didn't sleep. I cringed every time I looked at my phone, fearing what I'd see and who already saw it. As if things weren't already bad, after those two days, he just started back up calling me over and over again like nothing happened, texting me, hello, every five minutes. I never answered, and he started calling me 50 to 100 times in a row until it prevented me from using my phone during these calling fits. He kept going like that every day for a few weeks, like that before it got creepier. Every single night I worked, no matter what time my shift ended at my fast food job, the calls would start about 20 minutes later. I was scared so badly that I had guys I worked with walk me to my car at night and I would look around for unfamiliar cars in the parking lot. I was terrified and, of course, felt like he was watching me walk to my car or worse, knew where I lived in the next town over. I looked for him over my shoulder everywhere I went and I honestly don't know who was more obsessed with who during my summer year. Sometimes after work, I would hang out in the parking lot with my coworkers on smoke breaks and shoot the shit. On a slow night, we had extra time to talk. I was outside with a night manager that worked day construction when the calls from Chaz started rolling in. He laughed and asked who was blowing up my phone. I ended up telling him how badly I was being harassed. He motioned for my phone and proceeded to answer the call when it rang. There was nothing but breathing 
on the other end, as my manager told him to leave me the fuck alone before the call went dead. About 10 minutes later, when I got in my car to leave, he continued to call. I thought about telling my parents, but I couldn't tell them he was threatening me without telling them about the pictures and possible video. I could already guess how that fight would go. I was afraid to block him because I wanted a clear record of how he tried to contact me. And I was afraid to think of what he would do next if he thought I wasn't getting his texts. He knew he was scaring me and liked it. I decided the only thing I could do was to stop responding altogether and hope he would go away. It had been weeks since I had seen him and I was leaving for college the following week. While away at college during the next eight to nine months, I learned how to deal with his attempts at contacting me. My pledge sister showed me how to automatically send his text into a separate folder on my phone, and I learned to live with my phone on silent. His texts slowly went from 50 a day to five a week to one a month. I started to forget about this guy and get on with my life. I lived so far away now, and he seemed to be giving up, but I was still managing to keep tabs on his obsession with me. It bothers me to think about how many women have been treated this way and how so many just learn to deal with it on their own. As a woman, I'm tired of learning to adapt to things I never asked for and don't want. It disgusts me how common it is for women to experience things like this, but at the same time, it really helped to speak with others, like my sorority sisters, and come to the understanding that I shouldn't have to deal with this harassment. When I came home from my first year of college for the summer, I picked up working at the fast food place. I was shocked when all of a sudden the text calls and Snapchats started back up with a vengeance. Somehow he knew my work schedule and that I was in town. I ended up quitting my job because I didn't feel safe at all when I was there. He had a routine that would go from calling after my shift to texting during the day and snapping me nothing but pitch black pictures with the words, hey, and come over, over and over again, whenever he felt like it. On the day I quit my job, I closed down the restaurant at 3 a.m. and instead of calls, he started sending me explicit Snapchat pictures of his dick. The pictures had captions of him trying to bribe me with weed and over $1,000 to come over. I felt like somehow he knew I'd quit my job and went literally balls out trying to get my attention. I continued to ignore his attempts, as always, and his Snapchats quickly became more odd and aggressive. At one point, he snapped me and said he was going to come over and give me what I deserved if I refused to talk to him. I'd had enough. I'd lost too much sleep. I had gained enough confidence over the last year to know that I was within my right to report him. I didn't feel safe in my parents' home or anywhere else. I felt like this violent, unpredictable man was controlling my life or at the very least was in the bushes waiting for me to come outside. I couldn't deal with this nightmare any longer, so I finally decided to call the police. Before I called them, I had screenshots of the graphic and threatening pictures he sent me on Snapchat as proof. Maybe it was stupid to call them right in the middle of the night while everyone was sleeping, but I called the non-emergency police station number and told the officer that answered I was being stalked and threatened. He scoffed and asked how old I was. He spoke to me like I was just being dramatic and trying to tattle. He said shitty things to me like, if he's bothering you, why don't you just block him? Or why did you even respond to him after he made you feel uncomfortable? He obviously didn't believe that I was in danger and instead argued with me over the severity of the situation. He kept insisting I could and should have prevented the situation and seemed irritated that I even called. To this day, I don't know if calling the police was the correct course of action, by the way. 
No one has ever corrected me, but judging by the way it was handled, I definitely don't feel like I utilized the right resource even still. I felt blamed for provoking this 6'4", 300-pound man to obsess over me. It was my fault, and I felt like my right to defend myself had dissipated because I let it go on for almost a year now. Feeling stupid and small, I got out the meek argument that I was scared that someone was outside of my house, and an officer was sent to my parents' house to take a report. When the officer rolled up in the driveway, he turned off his lights, and I walked out so the dogs wouldn't bark and wake up the whole house. I didn't want to have to explain what was going on to my family at four in the morning, especially to my protective father, who was getting up for work in two hours. The officer let me into the front seat of his Dodge Charger and began taking my report in the driveway. I told the officer what happened and gave him Chaz's name and phone number. He took pictures of the screenshots and text messages with the digital camera, and then he proceeded to call Chaz on his cell phone. Chaz answered, and the officer told him to stop contacting me or I would press charges and hung up. I ended up thanking him and went back inside, feeling stupid. I know this is a lame ending, but that's really all it took to get him to leave me alone. I'm now 25, and since that night, he's tried contacting me maybe three times in the next few years, and I've heard nothing since. I found out years later that I had worked with Chaz's best friend the entire time and never knew that they hung out. His friend used to keep a copy of our work schedules on the dash of his car. That's how Chaz knew what shift I worked and when to call me as soon as he thought I was home. I don't think he knew where I lived after all. What sucks still, though, is this feeling I was left with after this experience. I was so easily manipulated and had no idea where to turn in that situation. I wanted to be taken seriously, but ended up feeling stupid and scared for my life at the same time. To this day, I have nightmares of this man following and hurting me six years later, and the closer I am to my hometown where he lives, the more I look over my shoulder. I'm afraid that if he sees me, everything will start over again, and my stomach still drops when I hear his name. If I ever encounter him in public, which is very possible, I don't know if I'd run or freeze. Until that happens, though, I really can only hope he's not torturing some other poor woman. Thank you so much for reading this incredibly long story. I hope it helps someone out there in a similar situation and lets them know to take different actions than I did. I've gathered some resources and information that I wish I had when I was going through this. Thank you again for all you do to create an accepting anti-slut-shaming atmosphere on APC. And thankful for the sound and safe advice you give your listeners to just keep doing you, booze. Stay safe. Laura T. from Ohio. So one of the things that she shared is www.stalkingawareness.org slash what to do if you're being stalked. But it's like what dash to dash do dash, you know, if you're being stalked. Anyway, just go to stalkingawareness.org and I bet that that has a lot of good resources for you. Also, try watching Deadwood or Justified. They're both small town crime show series with a lot of familiar faces. If you need something funny, try Righteous Gemstones or Home Movies. The thing is, at least, well, I don't know if it's everywhere, but at least there are like revenge porn laws and stuff now. So maybe there's some recourse. I don't know if it's everywhere. I don't know enough about the law. So someone tell me what the what the answer is for that. But at least now it's like if they did that, they would get in trouble. Yeah. But on the flip side, I mean, 
you're fucking in high school. You don't want your parents knowing that you're going over to Netflix and chilling with this dude and yeah. that you had sex with him, first of all, and, and second of all, that there's a fucking video. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like he knew that that was going to make you vulnerable because mm-hmm. you didn't want anybody to know. You don't want anybody to see those pictures. You don't want... We were literally having this conversation at lunch today. Yeah, we did. But you don't, you know, you don't want people to see these things. And so he knew that that puts you in this vulnerable place where he had control. Yep. And it's like you you knew he had the pictures because you had sent them to him. Mm-hmm. But the video, you didn't know. Right. Well, and two, you're in high school. So like us now thinking about it, it's like, uh, hello, that's child porn. So, you know, like have fun with that. You know what I mean? Like, you could get him. But, I mean, when you're that young. Oh, absolutely. You're not thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to do this, you know. And, again, you feel trapped so you can't talk to your parents who might be like, well, we can get him on this. You know, like, oh. Well, and then you don't want the lecture. Like, you just – and I think that that's a big takeaway for parents is that, like, help your kid first and then later talk about the – Okay, we need to talk about the pictures and the repercussions of sharing those with people that you don't trust or people that's not your partner or whatever. You know, have that conversation later, later. But let's deal with the the issue at hand. And the issue at hand is that you're not safe and that you have someone threaten you. Yes. This is that's not the time to deal with what do you mean you sent them pictures? What do you mean there's a video? This is that's not the time. Deal with that shit later. Yeah. This is why kids don't want to come to their parents because they don't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, let's address the trauma and let's address the fear and the safety emergency that you're fucking in. Man, like 100 to all of that. But also, fuck that police officer for victim blaming you mm-hmm. and slut shaming you because that right there is why shit doesn't go reported. Yes. And you didn't do anything wrong, you know? No, because it's like there's no answer because if you answered him, it could make him spiral. If you don't answer him, it can make him spiral. I thought that that story was going to take a very different turn when that manager, your assistant manager yes. or whatever, answered your phone and it was going to be a dude. And I was going to be like, oh my God, this is about to escalate him so bad having a man yeah. answer your phone. I was like, oh my God, a male answering the phone is going to be like, oh, so now you have a boyfriend, you know, and it was going to mm-hmm. spiral. It's like when they're unstable, there's no right answer. Right. Because anything can make them spiral. Mm-hmm. And that's not on you. Right. Also, for a second, I thought you were about to say his friend was sending him the schedule, but good to know he just was like being even creepier and mm-hmm. just like finding it, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't his friend being dangerous, too. Yeah. And the sad part is, is that I can guarantee he's doing this to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that... Everyone that he's ever hooked up with, probably, that he wanted something again. Yeah. If that they ended that he didn't end, mm-hmm. that he felt powerless, mm-hmm. he had to take his power back mm-hmm. by making them feel small and unsafe and vulnerable. Yeah. I watched a Web of Lies episode, and it was this guy who had, I think, four different girls at one time, all in different areas of the U.S., and he got them to take off their shirts and send pictures. And then, since he had that, he was like, okay, now I want you to do a video. Like, I want you to strip for me or whatever. And, you know, most of them are like, no, like, it's an innocent picture. 
Because like on a webcam, we think you can't capture a picture. So they did it. Mm-hmm. But then when he said, hey, I have pictures, sent it, then they had to strip for him. They had to do more things. Well, they didn't have to, but they felt like they, they felt had like to. They felt like they had to. And just like you mentioned, they're so young because they were like 13 mm-hmm. and stuff. I watched this episode. Okay. Well, they were so young that they didn't want to tell their parents because that was more, you know, they didn't want to get in trouble uh-huh. with their parents or, you know, and then he would say that they would get in trouble because they're doing porn and, you know, like things like right. that. And so they're like, oh my God, I would be arrested. Uh huh. And I think one girl thought she was going to be arrested when the police came, but it's because they found her on his computer. Mm -hmm. And it really is just like he did to you. He held that over your head. And uh, I don't know, like, I guess kind of how you said about the parents, like, just be approachable. Well, there has to be a balance of your kid telling you something and, okay, well, thank you for telling me, but these are your consequences. Yeah. And I mean, I know I don't have kids, and so it's easy for me to say, but also I've taken a lot of classes, like, you know, on yeah, whatever. Not that that makes me a parent, but... But you've been a kid, and you might have done something a little dangerous or not told your parents something because you were scared of the recourse. Right. And when you're getting in these huge situations like this, and all of these smaller situations leading up, your immediate reaction has been anger or discipline or anything like that instead of listening and discussing it with them and treating them not like adults but with respect Mm -hmm. then they're not going to come to you with these bigger things yeah and then it's going to be situations like this because it's like the saying call me whenever Mm -hmm. you know if you're drunk at a party i don't care call me Well, but if you go pick them up and they're drunk and then you berate them the whole way home because they're drunk, they're never going to fucking call you again. Right. So it's the same thing. So if you do that with all the little things growing up their whole life, they're always in trouble. They're always this. They're always that. You know, it's never, okay, I really appreciate you telling me that. And these are the the consequences of those actions. If there's never that type of moment, then they're not going to come to you. Yeah. Because kids test things out like that. Like, I can remember being a kid and just asking my mom one time, what would you say if I asked you about birth control? And I was young. I was probably like 14. And she, like, flipped. And I was like, okay, never again. And I never talked to her about sex again. For all she knows, I'm still a virgin. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, I literally never talked to her about sex again, ever. Wow. I was just testing the waters. Yeah. To see what what I could come to her with and not get in trouble. And not like a, oh, I'm testing my parents. No, I'm trying to see, because I don't want to get in fucking trouble. Yeah. Just because I'm asking you questions. Yeah. For real, both of y'all that experience these situations with stalking, first of all, we're so glad that you're safe. And thank you for sharing it. Because hopefully someone listening can learn from it and... If, they're, if you're going through this, know that there are resources for you online and know that this is not your fault. And if you're not getting the help that you need from the police department, ask to fucking speak to somebody else. But can I have your supervisor? Can I go go up the fucking chain of command? Yeah. yeah. And if the, you know what? And if the city police isn't helping you, fucking go to the county. Go to the sheriff's department. Yeah. See if they can help you. I don't fucking know if that's a thing, but try. 
Yeah. Because fuck them. No one should, if they're a fucking police officer, make you feel bad for the way that someone else is treating you. 100. Because it is not your fault. Right. There's no like, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. Again, because... There's no, well, I'm sure there is actually a handbook on how to handle stalkers, but there's no handbook on how to handle each person. And I mean, everybody's going to react differently. Again, even with LT's case, it's like, okay, so the manager answered the phone and I really thought that was going to send him over the edge and it didn't. You know, so I mean, there's literally no rhyme or reason. Yeah. So thank y'all for sharing that. Well, and also Carrie, thank you for covering a story that was able to get two people, to, you know, like, oh, my God, I relate to this. And, you know, hopefully that was therapeutic for y'all writing that out. Yes. And sharing it and letting us know that, no, we're on your side and you did nothing wrong. Because if you would have went the first time he did that, they would have been like, you have no proof. Like, yep, could have been one time thing. You waited a little bit, and then they're like, you waited too long. Why'd you wait too long? You know, so it's not your fault. Well, and then again, with TJ, she had fucking receipts. Yeah. And it still wasn't good enough. Yep. So I hope that that doesn't deter people from going to get help, but just make sure that you are taking screenshots and keeping call logs and all of that. Just make sure that you are covering your ass and protecting yourself. Yeah. All right, the next one. Hi, friends. My name is Allie. I'm 22, and I have been a fan of y'all since the world went to shit in March. So I'm excited to send in some of my ghost stories, and I hope this isn't too long. First, a little about me and my history with ghosts. I, for as long as I can remember, have had a pretty strong connection to the supernatural and all that jazz. As a kid, I had an imaginary friend that I would hang out with at all times of the day up until I started school and started making real friends. My mom has always been convinced that my imaginary friend, whose name was Jim, was not imaginary at all and that he was a ghost. Oh, shit. When I started kindergarten, the beginning of the end of mine and Jim's friendship, my mom would tell me that while I was at school... The Mickey Mouse TV in my room would turn on out of nowhere and the volume would be on full blast. This happened so often that she started to just unplug my TV when I would leave for school to avoid having to go back into my room to turn it off. I also, looking back, believe that Jim wasn't a figment of my imagination at all. And I can still picture what he looked like. White, tall, beard, and in a long white nightgown. A fucking period piece. Mm-hmm. Um, your friend might have been Grandpa Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but did he come with a golden ticket? <laughs> Lots of things have happened to me and my family that has led me to believe in ghosts. But there is one particular incident that I always have ready to tell when people mention ghost stories. On Christmas night, my older and only sister, a couple of our friends, and I were all hanging out in my sister's room. All of our parents and their friends were in the backyard drinking and having a good time. My sister and I were waiting on my friend's dad to come pick us up for a sleepover at their house. My sister had gotten a small-sized gumball machine for Christmas that morning, and it was sitting on her dresser when, out of nowhere, the glass sphere part of the machine made a huge 
pop sound, and a huge shard of glass fell off onto the dresser. We went outside to tell our parents, and my mom, who was never one to mince words, said, must be the ghost. We all kind of laughed about it, and my mom said to just put the machine and the broken glass on the dining table for the time being, so we did just that. As we were leaving to go to our previously mentioned sleepover, I was the last person out of the house when we heard another loud popping noise coming from the dining room. We ran back inside to see, you guessed it, the gumball machine had shattered again. We all screamed and ran outside to tell everyone about what just happened. The whole way to our friend's house, all of us kids were talking about how crazy it was that we saw all of it happen. When we got home the next day, the gumball machine was gone, and my parents told us that it had shattered a third time after we had left, and so my mom banished it to the dumpster. I have lots of other stories about different things that have happened to me and my family. None of them are really that scary, which is a-okay with me, but they were still very much real and unable to explain. Depending on how my diction and word choice sounds over the pod, I might send in more. Thank you, ladies, for always being fun and entertaining. Creep it real. Well, the fact that you say my diction sounds, I mean... Right? That sounds like a fucking dick joke Donna would make. So, (laughs) I mean, send them in. You did fun. Yeah, Allie. Amazing. You did amazing. And we need to hear all of them. And you're like, that aren't really that scary. Uh, yeah. Well, one, it's scary because Carrie's real jealous about you getting that gumball machine. I mean, I legit was thinking, damn, I forgot to stop at that new gumball machine at that restaurant we went to tonight. Yeah. They had their thing because I got me some quarters. Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. This girl will be like, y'all got a quarter? Motherfucker. I I really want that gumball. I never have quarters. And then I always stupidly give her a fucking quarter. And then that bitch pops that gum all the way home. It's so good, though. I hate someone who pops gum. I do it. So I don't, well, also, I only do it when I don't swallow the gum instantly. Yeah, Donna puts it in her mouth and says, comp, 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 comp. Like, I don't mean to. It's like my throat just opens up. Like, oh, something's in your mouth. Open it wide. Which is why she has so many dick appointments. But, <laughs> but like, I was like, what? I can't help it. So don't give me an expensive piece of gum. Like, oh, this is a... Oh, Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to taste the flavors you're talking about because literally my teeth are going to sink into it. And then, whoop, and then I go, oh, shit. Uh, okay, Violet Beauregard, who gets an expensive piece of gum? I don't know. I'm just saying don't waste your money on it. Look, we all know that you like the cheap shit, okay? I you, like all the cheap candy. You really do. I mean, you literally could just give me, like, baking chocolate and I would just and She's not lying. She is not lying. I had bacon chocolate in my cabinet, I did not buy it. My aunt did, who actually bakes. And Carrie said, I wonder if that's good. And I was like, no. And that girl ate it like it was amazing. So I tasted it. No, it's bitter as fuck. <laughs> like, it's not good. It's not good. And that girl, what? because they were like the morsels or whatever, she was popping those in her mouth. And I was like, good God. It's like a kid who has cold fries. It ain't good. But you definitely want them. <laughs> okay, so this kind of reminds me. Now, I can't debunk it about it doing it so many times. Mm-hmm. But it does remind me of, I want to ask, was the gumball machine thing made of tempered glass? Ooh. Because 
my parents have had like a tempered glass cutting board that like acts as like a little cutting board, a uh, trivet. Like we just, they just leave it on their yeah. kitchen counter. I have one too. But one time at like midnight, I'm sitting there and that tempered glass cutting board shatters just for no fucking reason. Nobody's in there. It's like it had just been cracking, cracking, cracking. I don't know. And it fucking blew up and it went all over the kitchen. And this is like midnight. My parents were asleep. I was sitting there. You, I mean, like, scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, there was tempered glass everywhere. And that one had, was really old. But then they got another one that a few years later did the same thing. But it doesn't just, like, keep popping over and over again if it's, you know. Now, you will kind of hear it, like, crackling while it's still sitting there, like, while you're sweeping it up. But, so that's why I asked, is it tempered glass? Mm. But again, it did it multiple times, so I don't know. Also, your parents keep that house hot as fuck, so that might have been some of that. (laughs) Touche. And her dad will still wear, like, a sweater. Oh my god, he's so fucking (laughs) cold-natured. I mean, like, I will literally tell them, like, I'm feeling sick, it's so hot in here, I have to turn the air on. Yeah. Like, dad, you have to cover up. But you know what? My niece-in-law, she got him a weighted, heated blanket. No, was it weighted? No, he has a weighted blanket, and he uses it sometimes. But she got him, like, an electric blanket. And we were like, God damn, that was the best gift ever. (laughs) Why didn't nobody think of that? Because he's so hard to shop for, and it was just like, light bulb. Damn, why didn't nobody think about this for 20 years? Golly. That reminds me, we all ate at this Mexican restaurant, and... Even I was hot. I was like, it is stagnant in here. But, like, it was fucking hot. And Tiffany said, "Um, is the air not working? And so the manager came and flipped it on. He said it was 80 degrees in there. I was like, "Um, I don't think they got the memo. It's 100 degrees outside already. So uh, I know it's only May, but it's already hot as fuck. So uh, flip that air conditioner on. Yes. But when he said 80 degrees, also, it felt instantly hotter when he said it was 80 degrees. <laughs> like, and then instantly cooler when you heard yes. the air kick Oh, off. God. The best sound. <laughs> First world problems, man. Yes. Yes. Back to you, Allie. Sorry. <laughs> so tell your sister that Carrie is very jealous of her gumball machine. I'm so jealous. I always wanted one of those as a kid. You probably had one. No, but my cousin did. Of course. My cousin had one. I was so jealous. And I... I don't even like that, you know, but she had M&Ms in hers. Oh. Yeah, now that I do love. Also, very timely of reading this story about imaginary friends because I said, I don't believe that any kid has an imaginary friend. I believe they're all ghosts. Yeah, I was thinking that. We Didn't we just talk about that? Yes. Because someone posted in the group, too, and was like, uh, Donna saying that, uh, my kid has an imaginary friend and. When the kid goes to school, she's like, oh, can't remember the name. Like, Amy's going to stay home with you. And it's like, nah, bitch, I don't need her. Yeah. Like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but it is scary to think about. Like, Mary uh, had a fucking little lamb that followed her to school. This fucking ghost can follow you, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And it was white as snow. See-through, even. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay, the next one. 
Hey ladies, I absolutely love this podcast. It keeps me occupied while I'm teaching high school remotely, meaning sitting at my desk debating every life choice I have ever made. (laughs) (laughs) I had a short but creepy experience the other night and wanted to share with you. The house I live in is not particularly old, built in the 1970s, I think, and the section where my room is is even newer because it's an add-on. Despite that, where my room is has always been a little freaky. My dogs refuse to sleep in my room at night, but will during the day. They also don't like to go down the hallway by my room. That's not the only weird thing, though. My niece is across the hall from me, and she had a sign on her door that randomly fell off her door and landed by mine. We put it back up and figured someone slammed the door. A few days later, it does the same thing, again landing across the hall and breaks. All right, weird, but not concerning. Several nights later, a canvas I had on the wall of my room fell straight down and wakes me up. Again, things sometimes fall off the wall. It's annoying, but not overly concerning. What is concerning is the apparition in the hallway by my door. What? Okay, uh, buried the lead much there. (laughs) It's like, okay, okay, wait, what? Every night, I think I see someone, a large figure standing in my doorway. Every night, I ignore it, deciding it's just a trick of the light or something. A few nights ago, though, it woke me up. I heard a voice call out my name. Not my actual name, but the nickname that my niece calls me. No. It didn't sound like her voice, but I turned over just in case, since usually when a five-year-old comes into your room at 3.30 a.m., there's a problem. 3.30? Yeah. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Instead of seeing my niece by my bed, I saw an old woman. Uh-uh. No, no, girl. She was standing between my bed and the door and just watching me. I stared at her for what felt like forever, but it was probably just a few seconds, and then she was gone. She was not wispy, and she did not slowly fade away or anything. She looked solid, and then suddenly she was completely gone. I stayed up for another two hours because I could not fall asleep no matter what I did. I was so tired the next morning, I ended up falling asleep at my desk at work. I'm just lucky no one walked into my classroom while I was sleeping. Ultimately, I am now terrified of my room and close my door at night in hopes it will keep the old woman away. Thank you for reading my sinister sighting. Love you both. Marissa R. Uh, Marissa, that sounds like the old hag. Mm -hmm. Fill in the rest because that's all I know. (laughs) well you knew that yeah sleep paralysis might come next oh fuck because they she gets on top of you and you can't breathe well don't tell her spoiler let her figure it out (laughs) no i'm just kidding Oh my gosh. Well, let me tell you, I love y'all's stories. I feel so bad that y'all have experienced this. But all I know is that if I woke up and there is an old lady and I'm just staring at her and I will. All right, daddy, we got to move out of this house. Burn down. Like I I would not sleep in my room. I am that big of a baby. Like, oh gosh. Now, again, if I were like going on a ghost hunt, I want to see a ghost, but not in my house. Not when I'm asleep or... You know what I mean? You're in a vulnerable thing. Especially if you don't sleep in your whole fucking outfit like Carrie does. Well, let that be a lesson to you. Well, maybe that's why no one comes to see me because they're like, oh, shit, never mind. They got x-ray vision. They said, oh, never mind. They channel your dad. Donna, put some clothes on. (laughs) 
But that, like, seriously, that, oh, my gosh. I don't like sleeping with my back to, like, I don't like to be facing the wall. I Like, because then I'm thinking someone's standing right behind me. And, like, I wouldn't know if they're standing right behind me. Yeah. And so then I'm like, all I can picture is a ghost standing behind me. Like a black figure right behind me. And I'm like, oh, God, this bed's so comfy. You know? So I'm like, nope. Got to roll over. But then... I'm like, okay, well, I'm not against the wall, so they could be right there behind me. Maybe that's why I sleep on my stomach, but then my back is to everything. Yeah, and you're in, like, the most vulnerable position. Try to get out of that spot fast. Oh, my God, I can't, because that's probably why my lower back is hurting right now. I mean, precisely. (laughs) Well, hopefully the old hag didn't come for a visit. Right? But also, girl, if something falls off your wall multiple times, different stuff... It's not the wall. I don't think that's how gravity works. Mm-mm. Like, I don't think it can, like, pick it up off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> Marissa's like, yeah, tell me that again. Say it to my face. But hopefully we don't have an update that's like, well, she got me. <laughs> Saw her again. Another visit. Hopefully you can tell us in the Facebook group or something that you're sleeping fine. Mm-hmm. All things went away. Yeah. Well... The next one is titled, It Followed Me Home. Mm -mm. Already scared about this one. Damn, that would be a good entry for those, like, short, scary, like, sentences or whatever. You know, like, scare someone in under, like, six words. Yeah. It followed me home. Done. That's four words. I'm scared. Shaking in my boots. (laughs) She's not kidding. She's wearing boots. I am not. I'm wearing Crocs. With Dorothy socks, Golden Girls. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that's that's a fucking t-shirt right there. <laughs> but I'm serious. If someone, if that was just like a short story, like bam, yeah, no, that's scary enough. Let me start. Said scary story. So my friends and I have done a number of ghost hunting events and have several stories to tell, but there is one that will haunt me forever. My friend and I went on a ghost hunt at Randolph County Asylum in Indiana. Before I start, a little history on the asylum. Um, ma'am, are you trying to take my job away? (laughs) (laughs) The county home, originally the Randolph County Poorhouse, was built in 1899. The property at one time included a pump house, two different barns, a machine shed, two garages, as well as a chicken house. The land was purchased by the county about 1851 to house a poor farm to take care of those unable to work, including the mentally and physically disabled, single mothers, elderly, and orphans. The building was destroyed by a fire in January 1854. A new two-story brick building was constructed in 1855-1856. There's a cemetery also located on the property, 230 yards northwest of the home. The asylum closed in 2008 to 2009. At least 50 unmarked graves are reported to be located on the property. Anyway, now that you've had a history lesson, let's get into my story. As I said, my friend and I went on a ghost hunt to the asylum. We were with a group of about 30 people, including two mediums as our guides. It was a relatively, quote-unquote, uneventful night when you consider all the things that can go on during a ghost hunt. 
We captured some EVPs, a few pictures, and had some personal experiences, but nothing I would consider frightening. After many hours ghost hunting, we turned in for the night. The next morning, we packed up our gear and headed home. That night, things took a turn. I laid down for the night the same as I do every night. I fell into a deep sleep without any issue. That's when the quote-unquote dream happened. I was back in the attic at the asylum. I looked around the attic feeling a little confused that I was back, but otherwise surprisingly not alarmed. I walked around and noticed that there were cots around the attic and toys scattered. Everything was in gray tones and slightly grainy like an old movie. I started to walk towards one of the beds where a small boy, maybe five or six years old, was sitting, humming to himself. As I approached, I was asking, are you okay? What's your name? The boy's back was to me, and despite my questions, he didn't turn around. Until he did. As soon as I was right next to him, this child spun around to look at me. Where his eyes were supposed to be were just black voids. His face was motionless and he reached for my arm. Suddenly, I jerked awake. Scared from my dream, it took a second to readjust my eyes to the dark. I turned my head and there was the boy standing next to my bed with those black eyes and his mouth hanging open in an unnatural way, almost a silent scream. He started to reach for me and suddenly my husband came bursting into the bedroom yelling, honey, honey, what's wrong? Apparently, I had been screaming at the top of my lungs. Think horror movie scream. My husband came rushing in because he thought I was being murdered. I tried to explain to him what had happened, but I was shaking and trembling in fear and making little sense. I refused to let him leave the room again, afraid that the boy would come back. I have never seen this boy again in my dreams or while awake, but I will never forget how he looked. I don't know if something followed me home from the Randolph Asylum, even though we cleanse before we leave a site, but something got inside my head that night. Anyway, thanks for hearing my story. Next time, I will send you the story of the peekaboo ghost complete with a picture. Allison. You better put like a St. Benedict's charm on or something. Yeah, whew. Mm-mm. When you said the boy didn't turn around, I was thinking, like, it's going to be a jump scare. Oh, mm-mm. don't want that. I've never experienced that, but I've experienced where, you know, you dream that you're, like, asleep and you wake up and something happens and you think, oh, my God, it happened in real life. Mm-hmm. But you were asleep. But, like, I wake up and know, oh, that was in my dream. So I know it's not the same thing because I'm aware that it was like, oh, I was asleep. Right. But that is like a mind fuck in that dream. So I can only imagine like you waking up from a nightmare to see your nightmare there. I mean, what do you even do? Uh, Scream, just like she did. True. But uh, I only have Marley to save me, so. uh, Well, maybe. She would hear you screaming and, like, compal you or something. She's pretty smart. Yeah. Okay, this one is called Slasher Movie. Demons Attack a Sorority House. My name is Rochelle. You can use my name. 
I absolutely love your podcast. I know you hear it all the time, but the two of you are amazing. I started listening back in January slash February and have spent my COVID days binging past episodes. Firstly, I have to say I have lived in a haunted house. Nothing major to report, just some poltergeist activity. Oh, you know, as you do. <laughs> yeah, like nothing really to report. Uh, skirt. Excuse oh. me. <laughs> There's like literally a movie made on it. So <laughs> it's not just <laughs> some. <laughs> One of the rooms was used as an office. The office was shared by my husband, myself, and the accountant. Things would magically disappear. We would search high and low to no avail. After five minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, the item would reappear and be exactly where you left it. It was never scary, just very annoying, but it was enough to make us believe that there was some spirit in that office. It was the only part of the house that this happened. As I said, it was never scary, but I definitely believe that there was something other than the humans in that room. Borrowers. <laughs> I for sure believe that ghosts and spirits share our space. Okay, on to my sinister sighting. When I was in college, we would play with the Ouija board. Luckily, this was a short-lived fad. I lived in a sorority house with several other girls, and we played in a couple of different parts of the house, but quickly found out that the best reception, quote-unquote, was in the back staircase right next to my room on the first floor. The staircase was wide and had a large landing halfway up, where the staircase then went in the opposite direction, like zigzag staircase, so if you were at the bottom of the staircase, you couldn't see all the way to the second floor. We would all take turns asking questions that no one else in the group would know. I swear it worked. A friend had come through from high school. I was asking questions that no one I went to college would know about since these were things that happened in high school. This was also the case with others in the group. There were conversations that would start friendly and end with a violent comment or spell out, fuck you. I'm a total scaredy cat. Thank goodness I lived in a house with 30 other girls, a roommate and security doors. We made it a point to sign off so that we would not have the spirits roaming the halls of the house. One night, after we finished up for the night, around midnight, I was in my room getting ready for bed when I heard a large thump. It was coming from the stairwell. Remember, I said my room was right next to the stairwell. Dun, dun, dun. I start to imagine the bad B-slasher horror film that I was going to be a part of, Demons Attack the Sorority House. I would, of course, want Scarlett Johansson to play me in the movie, but I digress, Donna. <laughs> then I heard it again. I ran down the hallway to get two of the girls that had been with me that night and participated in the activities. I dragged the two girls to the stairwell and, of course, heard nothing. But then we heard it again. Thumb. The brave one, not me, we'll call her Jay, said she would go first. Silence. Then we heard it again. As we creep up the back staircase, my face is buried in the back of Jay as we round the corner. There it is. Dun, dun, dun. Harvey the house hamster in his exercise ball coming ever so slowly down the stairs, banging every wall on his way. That put an end to my interest in Ouija board. Sadly, a couple of months later, Harvey was out again in his exercise ball and was never seen again. Carrie, maybe a subject for a milk carton mini episode. <laughs> <laughs> Creep. 
Crave it real. Keep doing what you're doing. I love Mondays and Thursdays because of y'all, Rochelle. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That is everything. (laughs) I just picture Gus Gus. I don't know why, but like in the exercise ball. No, what is that uh, Life of Pets movie where the hamster actually is in the ball the whole time? (laughs) That's what I picture. (laughs) (laughs) Poor little guy. Yeah, going down the fucking stairs and just, oh, God. It's Carrie in an exercise ball. Knowing he was like, don't fuck. (laughs) How much further? (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) If that is not some shit I would do. (laughs) As the hamster. Yes, and, yes, literally. I play all characters in this story. It's a one-woman show. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, that was perfect. Okay, well, the last one. A not-so-sinister sighting. Shit, she knows where Harvey is. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, ladies, I recently discovered your podcast through TCO, and I have fallen in love with you both. I've been debating sending this in as it's quite personal, but if I'm willing to let anyone tell this story, it's you both. Here's my true crime and paranormal story. Picture it. 36-ish years ago, I was a nine-month-old baby with an older brother. My mom was a nurse and my father a cop. My father worked with a partner who was married to a woman who was unhappy with their marriage. So, being the witch she was, she hired an 18-year-old to kill her husband (gasps) so she could cash in on his $25,000 life insurance policy, which is around $62,000 in today's money. Her payment to him was her husband's leather jacket and the gun she gave him to do the crime. Wow. So, this 18-year-old got drunk high on acid, and took the gun and shot six shots into the office where my father and his partner were sitting. None of those shots hit their mark. However, one of them hit my father in the head, (gasps) killing him instantly. Oh my God. That's so freaking sad. You know what though? That goes hand in hand what I talked about in the I Survived this month, where I used to think, Only bad people got bad things done with them. Like, I'd be like, oh, I'm not doing anything bad. Nothing bad could happen to me. But no, it's not about you. It's the other person. That's why we can't blame a victim because it's not your fault. And your father was at work. The bullets were aimed for someone else. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That... I was not old enough to know what happened. However, I still believe I have dreams sometimes that take me back to that time. I've described them to a cousin, and she was amazed at the accuracy I described things. My mother was suddenly widowed with a three-year-old and me. I now have a child the same age I was when this happened, and I honestly am overwhelmed just thinking about having to go through this. Luckily, my aunt was able to move in with my mother to help us during the insane trials. Fast forward to about five years ago, I had just lost my aunt, who was like a second mother to me, and was feeling lost. 
I went to have a crystal healing session done to try to get my energies cleared and just feel more aligned. When the session was over, the practitioner had me lay in their room for about 10 minutes alone. As I was laying there with my eyes closed, it felt like someone was standing over my head, gently brushing my hair away from my forehead. When I was discussing my session afterwards, she asked me if I felt anything as I was laying there. I mentioned to her that I had, and she told me that she watched a male spirit dressed in a uniform standing over me, lovingly brushing my forehead like he was moving hair away. As he walked away, he gave her a sign, a six and a seven, and then just stood with my other three spirit guides. It just so happens that my birthday is 6-7, and I truly believe that was my father with me that day. I apologize that this turned out so long, but I really wanted to share. Side note, I recently found out my father's murderer was released from jail last year. (gasps) I'm not sure how I feel about this. It's quite a mind F to know that there's a man walking the streets after murdering your parent and to know who it is. Thanks for being amazing. I'm so glad I found your podcast, Liz. That story makes me so angry because police officers are already putting their fucking life on the line every single day. Yeah. I mean, anybody that's a first responder. And to have someone like him killed in the line of duty, but not even... Because of his job. Right. And it's like, it's like you people who are people like going off to war and then coming home and getting shot in like a drive-by or something. It's like, it's just not supposed to happen that way. Yeah. God, that is so fucked up. And that he was released from jail. Man, that is heartbreaking. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing this with us, though. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my God. For trusting us with that. Like, gosh. But also, it's very sweet. It did have the sweet ending. Yes, that he came to see you. And did you have three spirit guides? How how y'all know these things? I want to (laughs) know. Somebody, tell me. How many spirit guides do I have? You got one, Harvey. Well, bless his heart. No wonder I'm fucking getting lost anywhere. He's taking forever. (laughs) Down the stairs. That's why you run into things. You're just following him. Well, can he take a straighter path, please? (laughs) I'm getting bruises. And I'm not even the one on blood thinners. <laughs> well, thank y'all so much for sending all of these amazing stories and life lessons for us. Yes, they're so personal and we really appreciate it. Yes. I mean, it's hard sharing your vulnerabilities, period. But then on a quasi-public forum, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you get the point. It's open for scrutiny. Like, it's... We really appreciate it. So thank you all so much for sending them in. If you want us to read your sinister sightings, whether it be true crime, paranormal, somewhere in between, send it in to aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.